come forward. I have a special message for you today. Come on up here, have a seat. Come on up here and have a seat. All right. All right, good to see you guys. Come on up here. Is that everybody? Is that every child who wants to be up here with us? All right. Are you guys excited for 2022? I want to tell you something. Did you know that the Lord wants to use you this year to do wonderful things for him? Did you know that? You're probably saying, I'm just a kid. What can God use me for? But you know that God uses children to do amazing things. You guys can tell people about Jesus. You can follow him and obey his word and show people what it means to follow him, right? I'm going to talk today about grapes. Anybody in here like grapes? They're pretty much one of the best fruits, right? Think about grapes. That looks pretty good, doesn't it? Yeah? Think about grapes. Is, is they come off of this thing called a branch. The branch is this part here, right? This is the branch. And then the branch is connected to a thing called a vine. So what do you guys think would happen if before the grapes were formed... And you had like a branch that looked like kind of like this. If we took the branch off the vine before there were any grapes, what do you think? Do you think grapes would grow on the branch? Nope. You think you would have this? No. no. To get this, it has to stay connected to the vine, doesn't it? Right? And you know what's interesting about grapes is they don't ripen once they've been taken away from the vine. Have you ever had anything? Have you ever had a sour grape before? Sometimes you wake up and you're in a bad mood. Do your parents ever tell you, oh, you just look like sour grapes? That's kind of an old person thing to say, but we do say that once in a while. We get that term sour grapes from grapes that are taken off the vine too early. A grape has to be on the vine, on the branch, attached to the vine for a certain amount of time before it becomes nice and sweet and juicy. For the vine, for the branch to produce grapes, it has to stay connected to the vine. You guys understand? Now, Jesus said, I'm the vine, and you guys are the branches. Now, if we want to be used by Jesus in a mighty way and produce all kinds of wonderful fruit for him, we have to stay connected to Jesus, just like this has to stay connected to the vine until the grapes are ready to be harvested. Now, let me ask you guys a question. What do you think it means to abide in or stay connected to Jesus? Let me tell you. Do you want to know? We've got to use this thing. Anybody know what this is? That's the Bible. We need to read our Bible and we need to learn about what God wants from us. We need to do this. What's this? We need to pray. That's how we talk to God. And we need to do our, we need to do our very best to obey what this book says. That's how we abide in Jesus. And when we abide in Jesus, he produces fruit inside of us. And then we're used by him to do wonderful things, all right? So the word of the day today, fruit. The word of the day is fruit. And I got a present for you guys today, okay? Don't open these up until you get back to your seat, and you need to ask your mom and dad if you can eat them, okay? So I gave you guys some grapes to eat while I'm preaching so you can learn and remember the word of the day is fruit. Y'all can come up here and get them because I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to throw them. Come here. 
Stand up. Everybody stand up. There you go. Okay. And then once you get one, go back to your seat. Thank you so much for coming up here. Remember to ask your parents before you eat them, okay? There you go. There you go. There you go. There you go. All right, church. I want to invite the rest of you to take out a copy of God's Word as we talk about Jesus as the true vine this morning and open it up to John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. John 15, 1 through 11. Today we are finishing up our sermon series answering the question, Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And we thought there was no better way to answer that question than to look back into the Gospels and try and figure out who Jesus said he was, right? If we want to know who he is, we need to look in and see what he said about himself. And so we had these seven I am statements, seven statements that Jesus made about himself. Today is the last day, the last I am, number seven, where Jesus said, I am the vine or I am the true vine. And that's what we're going to talk about today. The first question that we're going to answer in this illustration that Jesus uses in declaring himself as the vine is this one. What does it mean to abide in Jesus? What does it mean to abide in Jesus? So turn your Bibles or your phones or look up on the screen to John chapter 15 beginning in verse 1. Jesus said, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So Jesus employs some symbolism here that may be lost on us, you know, reading this a couple thousand years later. He's going to talk about this concept of a vine and branches and fruit. Now, this is something that the the folks listening to Jesus would have understood very clearly because in the Old Testament, Old Testament prophets and writers use this symbol often to describe Israel. You see, in the Old Testament, they portrayed Israel as a vine and God as the vine dresser. You can read about that in Psalm 80 or Isaiah 27 or Hosea chapter 10. Oftentimes, God's prophets would uh, characterize Israel as a wild, dried-up vine because of their disobedience to God. The vine dresser, the one who cared for the vine, cut those wild, dried-up vines away and burned them. And thus, when God was about to judge Israel, he would send a prophet and the prophet would tell them, you are being a wild vine and you will be pruned by the Lord, which means you'll be judged because of your disobedience to him. So think about that. Kind of park that in the back of your mind. And now let's look at what Jesus said. He stands in front of his fellow Jews and he tells them, I am the true vine. So what's he saying? I'm not the dried up wild vine that Israel had behaved as in the past. He says, I am the true vine. God the Father, according to Jesus, is, of course, the vine dresser. Now, what did a vine dresser do? A vine dresser was someone that would go 
to the grapevine and, and remove the unproductive branches. Because unproductive branches still used nutrients and took away from the other branches. So any branch on the vine that was unproductive would be pruned away, would be taken away, and it would die, and then it would be thrown in a pile, and it would be burned. And then they would cultivate the branches on the vine that produced fruit, meaning they would leave them there, they would trim them, and then that would help them to produce more fruit in the future. And so God is the vine dresser. Believers, according to Jesus, are the branches that grow out of the vine, and that's, of course, Jesus. So Jesus is giving this teaching to a group of people, and specifically to his disciples. Now, how many disciples originally did Jesus have? Twelve. Eleven of those disciples would be grown and pruned and used by him in mighty ways, and one was an unused, unfruitful branch, Judas. So as Jesus gave his teaching, he has 12 disciples there. Some of his disciples would be fruitful and useful for God, and other, the other one wouldn't. So believers, as the branches, are called by God to be used by him in mighty ways. Now, it speaks also of this fruit, and we're going to talk about that today. In Galatians 5, and 23, Paul identifies the fruit that believers produce. Now, this isn't the only fruit, but this is important fruit. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit, that's the fruit of the Holy Spirit, working and living and dwelling within you, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The disciples, according to Jesus, he said, are clean, because they've heard Jesus' teaching, they received it, and they're applying that to their lives. When we, the branches, abide in Jesus or rest in him, receive his teaching as well and obey it, who is Jesus the vine, then we will produce spiritual fruit. You guys with me so far? All right. And then the amazing, miraculous thing is that God multiplies that fruit in us over time as we walk with Jesus in obedience with his word. Let me give you uh, just a, a quick, simple example. So this would be like a branch, a brand new believer, right? You guys remember what it was like to be a brand new believer? There wasn't necessarily a whole lot of biblical wisdom and fruit in your life, right? And this is kind of characterized probably you, right? One little fruit, <laughs> I remember that day, right? But then what happens in God's miraculous work and the ministry of the indwelling Holy Spirit is over time, God prunes us. Now, that sounds like you know, a, a, a beautiful uh, you know, illustration about the way God sanctifies and, and grows us, but being pruned by God isn't necessarily always enjoyable. You know that? We don't enjoy having God cut out of us our unbiblical, unhealthy habits, right? Right? Okay. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Okay. But there's a benefit to this. As we follow Jesus, as we obey his word, as we walk with him in obedience with the leader, leadership of the Holy Spirit, after a lifetime of following Jesus, this, this is what your branch looks like. We shouldn't follow Jesus for years and look like this. We shouldn't look the same that we did when we were a brand new believer. 
we should look like this. This is the calling upon your life, believers, to move from this to this. This is all that Jesus is saying. It really is quite simple. God multiplies the production of spiritual fruit in our lives over time as we walk with Jesus in accordance with his word and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. It's a glorious, exponential benefit of following Christ. And it is to the benefit of the glory of God and for our eternal reward. Jesus continues in verse 4. He says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This is the meat of Jesus' teaching right here, although everything he says is awesome, amazing, and applicable. This is the meat of what he's saying here. He commands believers to abide in him as he abides in us. Well, what does that mean? It means we should rest in him. We should receive what he is teaching us through our study and the teaching of the word of God and the indwelling Holy Spirit. Believers, did you know that upon uh, repentance and belief in Jesus Christ, that God's Holy Spirit indwells you? That he actually comes inside of you? If you're a believer today, you have God's Holy Spirit inside of you. Abiding in Jesus is both obeying him and receiving the joy, the blessings, the love that he showers upon his people. So how do we do this? Because Jesus abides in us through the indwelling Holy Spirit, the consequence of that is fruit. He says it real, real, real clear in verse 5. Look at verse 5. Jesus says, He who abides in me and I in him, what's it say? He bears much fruit. So as we walk with Jesus in obedience with his word, following the leadership of the Holy Spirit, being cultivated by the Lord, pruned by the vine dresser God, there's more fruit in our life. It will happen. This is a promise from God. It will happen. Now, Jesus says, if you try and go about this thing by yourself, apart from Jesus, under your own power, this is what you're going to get. This right here. This dried up branch with nothing. Because the thing that God desires to do in your life is spiritual in nature. It's not based on your own works, your own abilities. Sure, he uses those things for his glory. But at the essence, at the foundation of our life, is our connection with Jesus and the work that he does inside of our hearts. Thus, Jesus can say, apart from me, you can do nothing. We can do nothing on our own. And so we abide in Christ. We trust in him for the fruit in our lives. Let me ask you a question. Are you tired of living a spiritually fruitless life? Like, have you had enough of that yet? Are you tired of this? We were not designed by God to live like this. We were designed by God to be this. In abundance. 
So the question we have to ask ourselves, if, if, if I don't have spiritual fruit in my life, if I'm missing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, and gentleness, maybe I'm just trying to do this thing on my own, under my own power, and maybe, just maybe, I need to turn back to the Lord and find my power and the potential to change through Him and the ministry of His Word and the indwelling Holy Spirit. That's the secret of the Christian life. Follow the Lord, trust in Him, abide in Him, and you will bear fruit. Or put very simply, maybe 2022 for you needs to be this, less of me and more of Jesus. Less of me and more of Jesus. Now that is a great New Year's resolution. Jesus continues in verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. So in this story, in this illustration, God is the vine dresser, Jesus is the vine, and the Holy Spirit is the one who produces the fruit, and born-again believers are the branches. When someone is a born-again believer, that person does necessarily abide in Christ. If you've turned from your sin and trusted in Jesus, you can't help but abide in Him because you've given your life to Him. There are some people who will say they're Christians, but in reality they've never repented and received Jesus as Lord and Savior. They're really just a Christian in name. They're not born again. They're not abiding in Jesus. How do we know this? It will be evident by their lack of spiritual fruit. Verse 6 says that they will be cast into the fire and will be burned. Matthew 25, 46, Jesus describes of the fate of those who are not born again through relationship with Jesus. He says they will go away into eternal punishment. But let me just tell you, this is entirely unnecessary. Because we have a God who loves you. We have a God who desires for all to turn from their sin and to trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. We have a God who wants you to be saved, who wants you to experience joy and fruit of the Spirit. How do I know this? 2 Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slow about His promises as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Ooh, I'm thankful for God's patience, right? I was 20 before I was saved. He was so patient for me. Not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Every single day that the Lord tarries in his return is a day of blessing and grace for the unrepentant and the unsaved. And it's a day for us to be proclaiming the gospel so people can hear and be saved. That's God's desire for your life. Verse 7, Jesus continues. You think he's got the crowd like kind of riled up by now? You think people in the crowd are saying, you know, I was just gossiping about Jesus. I was just telling people that he's not really the Messiah. And then Jesus just told them, yeah, you're not one of God's children. So I think probably they were pretty riled up by now. Verse 7, 
If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. This is a pretty amazing promise from Jesus. We don't want to just sort of like read over this and move on. Jesus now in this moment talks about the power in abiding in Christ. Let me tell you about God. We have a God who is omnipotent. That means he's all-powerful. Nothing lies outside of the power of God. He's also omnipresent. He's everywhere all at once. He's also omniscient, meaning he knows all things, past, present, and future, all at once, all in the same moment of time. That God who created this world and everything in it, who created you, that God has reached out to you through Jesus and said, I want you to pray to me. And when it's in accordance with my will, I'm going to act upon your prayer to make a change in this world. Guys, when you stop and think about who God is, that's pretty amazing that that God of the universe would even listen to what we have to say, right? Now, the, the, the struggle sometimes in prayer is trying to figure out why God does and doesn't answer certain prayers, right? That's a mystery. I'm just going to tell you right now, that's a mystery and the solution is reserved for God in his omniscience. There isn't an answer for that. It's in accordance with his will. But I have a simple illustration that helps me understand what God is, is doing in my own prayer life. When my kids were younger, they didn't always want to eat what I wanted them to eat, right? Amen, parents? Okay. So it would come lunchtime, and the kids would get hungry, and the kids would come to me, and they would say, I'm hungry, Daddy. I want these cookies. Okay? Now, once in a while, I might give them the cookies, you know, when Mama's not around, and then tell them, this is just me, and it's Daddy time, so we get to eat cool stuff when I'm here, right? And Mommy's not here. But most of the time, I would tell them what? No. Before we eat the cookies, what do we got to have? Lunch, right? We eat good food, healthy food at lunch, and if you eat all your lunch, you can have a cookie. And then, and then I, so I would say, no, you can't have those cookies. But if my child came to me, and it was lunchtime, and said, oh, you know, there's a sandwich and, you know, a piece of fruit on the table. Hey, can I have that sandwich and fruit you prepared for me? What, what would be my answer? Yes, I made this for you for lunch. And that's really simplistic, and we can't wrap everything God does up, up in simple illustrations, but that's always helped me in understanding my prayer life with God. Oftentimes, I'll go to God and think, this is something I really want and need, and will you do this for me? And, and there's times when God's like, no, you think you want this, but I've got something better for you. The thing I prepared for you, this is what I've got for you. No to this, yes to this. Now, when we abide in Jesus, the, the miraculous and amazing thing that happens in our life is we start to desire the things that God desires for us. So instead of asking for the cookies, we're asking for the lunch. Oftentimes we find ourselves, instead of asking for the, the things that benefit us maybe in this life, which is okay to pray for those things, we find ourselves starting to ask for things that benefit our eternal life. As we become more one with Jesus, we start to have 
the same heart as Jesus. And we start to find our prayers being answered by God because those are the things that God desires to answer in your life and in my life. When we abide in him, we'll find that our prayer life is so much more fruitful. Our abiding in Jesus, our faith in him produces spiritual fruit. The question is, are we abiding in him? So, how will abiding in Jesus change your life? At the end of the day, right, we like to see change. We want to see something happen. And so it's probably important for us to answer that question. If I'm abiding in him, how does that actually change my life? Well, Jesus answers that. Look at verse 9. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. So first, Jesus is going to try and help us understand what it means to be loved by him. So he says, okay, so just as God the Father loves Jesus the Son, that's the love, the same love as the love that Jesus has for you. That's pretty amazing love, okay? Our love on this planet for each other is so limited when we compare to the love that God has for Jesus. What kind of love is that? Unending, unmerited, everlasting, perfect. God the Father is going to love God the Son, in the most perfect way possible. That's the same love that Jesus has for you. Unending, unmerited, perfect, eternal. It's not something you can lose. It's not something you ever deserved. It's something that he showers down upon you in abundance. Maybe you're asking, how do I know that? I mean, once in a while in the Christian life, we, we can go through dry spells. Anybody ever been through like maybe a dry spell in your life? You're walking with Jesus, you're reading his word, you're praying, you just feel like, I just really, I'm not just, I just not feeling the joy and the love right now. We have those, and God uses those seasons to prune us, I found in the past. But think about this passage from Philippians 2. We know that Jesus loves us with this unending, eternal, perfect love because of what he did for us. He, he actually demonstrated his love for us. He didn't, just, he didn't just say, I love you in like some philosophical way and leave us unhelped, right? Jesus demonstrated his love for us. Think about Philippians 2, 6 through 8. Talking about Jesus, Paul says, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. So if you were to go back and read John 1, maybe 1 through 4, you would learn about the pre-incarnate Christ. The Word was God, the Word was with God, and the beginning was with God. He is God and with God. He didn't consider his Godhead in that formal way that's described in John 1 and Hebrews 1, something to grasp or hold on to. It was something he gave up. To do what? Verse 7, he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. He took, he, he left that perfect place with God the Father in heaven and he came down here. Here, like, you know, I love it here in Key West. I love it. I love being here. I love living here. 
but this is like nothing compared to heaven, right? Like, this would be like an equivalent of like being on a, a, a nice, pristine, beautiful beach, leaving that to like go lay in a pigsty. That's what it's like here. It's full of sin and death and illness and, and difficulty. He left that to, to be here with us. Being found, verse 8, in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself to be like you and I by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. The ultimate humility of Christ was not just him, God, becoming a man, the God-man and, and dwelling among us. It was him being, being arrested and beaten and hung on a cross. And while on that cross, he became sin, right? Not just your sin or your sin. He received upon himself the wrath of God for all sin. One who knew no sin, who had never experienced it in his, in his whole existence, his whole eternal existence, in a moment in time, became sin. And then felt the wrath of God as punishment for your sin and mine. Now that's love. That is love. That's the love that he has for you. And so when the enemy comes bringing doubt into your mind and into your heart, when you're walking through that valley, that difficult season, you go back to Philippians chapter 2 and you read about love. You read about what that Jesus did for you. What he's doing for you. And you abide in that love. Receive it. Settle in it. Walk with it through him. Now I want to place an illustration in your mind that's never going to go away so you can remember what it's like to abide in Jesus' love. Anybody here have a dog? I got a dog. My dog's usually real clean, real beautiful. He's got a, 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 just a black, beautiful coat. But I'll tell you one thing he loves to do. After I cut the grass, like right after I'm done cutting the grass, you know what that dog does? He runs outside in the backyard and he just rolls around in that grass. He's snorting, scratching his back. His legs are kicking. There's grass all over the place. And you can just tell that he just loves it. I mean, there's dew on his, you know, because the grass is kind of wet sometimes. It's all over his coat. He takes his snout and he moves it around in there. I don't know. He just loves that freshly cut grass. That's what God calls us to do in Jesus' love, all right? Just abide in it. Just live in it. Just roll around in it. Just love it and receive it. And don't let anybody pull you away from that. Because that's where God called you to live. Right in there with Jesus. Soaking up his love. Learning about his commandments and obeying them in accordance with his word. And that's where we're going next. Look at verse 10. Jesus said, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. You know, Jesus perfectly fulfilled the Father's will in his life. Jesus never sinned, not one time. Everything he did was in accordance with God's will. And so Jesus tells us now, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So how do we abide in Jesus' love? We keep his commandments. 
We do our very best to obey his word. We study it. We talk about it with one another. When we see somebody else that's not living in accordance with his word, we bring them back. Come on back in. That's not where you're supposed to be. We're not supposed to live over there. We walk with Jesus over here on this side, right over here. Called to obey his commandments. In fact, earlier in John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I think about it this way. When we're absolutely and totally and completely in love with Jesus, like enamored with him, following him, enraptured by him, you know what that will necessarily do in our lives? It makes us abhor sin. Because, you know, we can't love Jesus and abide in his love and follow him and follow and love sin at the same time. They're mutually exclusive. It's impossible for you to do both at the same time. So if you're living a life right now and you're thinking, yeah, I love Jesus, I'm a born-again believer, and, I, and I'm going to keep doing this even though I know it's wrong, you can't both abide in Jesus and live a sinful life at the same time. Now, it doesn't mean we're perfect, right? But it does mean we have the habit of coming back to following Jesus. And so loving him necessarily or as a consequence of loving him, will lead us away from sin. And as we live a life of being pruned by God and used by him and making that decision on a regular basis to turn from that, because I know that God doesn't want that in my life because I know that's unhealthy for me, I'm going to go back over here. I'm going to give that up. God's shaving that off my life. It's no longer a part of my life. When we do that as a lifetime, as a habit, we become this. Because as those useless things in our life are pruned away, as God takes them away because they're useless, they're not producing any, any fruit, he takes them away, and then that gives a chance for more things, uh, for more fruit and more shoots to come off of our branch to produce useful fruit for the Lord. Our obedience to him does not earn his love. Our obedience is a consequence of our love for him. It demonstrates that we love Jesus. Some of you are not experiencing the joy of the Lord, the love of Jesus, and the peace that follows because you're living in disobedience to him. Well, there's great news. According to the word, all you got to do is turn away from that and turn back to Jesus. And you'll experience the joy and the peace and the love that follows from abiding with Christ. Finally, Jesus says in verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that so my joy may be in you and your joy may be made full. Anybody just love a serious dose of joy right now? Anybody? Just like, would you love for God just to pour on you some joy in 2022? Well, I've got good news. It's possible for you, okay? First of all, God desires for you to experience joy that comes from only from him. Not from this world, not from the promises of this world, not from anything that you could do. It's simply a call from God to abide in Christ, to follow him, and then by his promise, you will receive joy from the Lord. One scholar writes, this joy is not a superficial fairy tale like happily ever after attitude, but a deep sense of well-being and joy that comes from being united with the vine, the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me just say in conclusion here, 
what should we do about this message from Jesus? Like, in a few minutes, we're going to be done. Everybody's going to walk out. What are we supposed to do with this? Well, think about Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. I'm going to preach on this tonight, but I think this is a good way to end today. The writer says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, I mean, we have so many people in the faith that came before us, both living and the ones that are dead, sort of cheering us on with the way they live their lives for Jesus. Let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which easily entangles us. Right? That's what sin does. Like it's tied up on your feet and it it makes you fall down and it keeps you from following the Lord. Let's cut all that away. Let's get rid of all that. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Despising the shame as he sat down at the right hand of the Father, the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus is the true vine. And we can receive the fruit from our Savior by abiding in him, by walking in him in accordance with his word, the indwelling Holy Spirit. So we're going to have a time now of invitation. Maybe right now your life feels like this. Maybe you want to start 2022 different. Maybe you need to turn from your sin and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior for the very first time. In a minute, everybody's going to stand up. If you've not yet received Jesus as Lord, I want you to come down here so I can pray with you and show you how to do that. Or maybe you're a believer today and and you know I was holding up that old dried up branch and you're like, that's the way my life feels right now. I don't want it to be that way. You can make a decision today as, as a believer. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start this year following Jesus, abiding in Christ, and receiving the joy that comes from that. Maybe you just want to pray for yourself or someone else. The altar will be open and you can come up and pray up here. Or maybe you want to join this church. Maybe you want to be baptized. Whatever decision God is laying on your heart, we're going to have a moment now when we sing, when we sing for you to make those kind of decisions. Would everyone please stand with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for all you've given to us, especially the opportunity to bear fruit for you as we follow you with our lives. I thank you, God, that none of this is really up to us, that it's something given to us by your power and joy and your grace and mercy. I pray for that person today who has a decision to make, that you'll give him or her the faith it takes to step out of that pew and to come forward. Whether it is to step forward and join this church, to be saved or baptized, or just to come to the altar and pray, help inspire us during this moment of decision to make a decision that honors you. In Jesus' name I pray.
Jesus. 